And then I, I brought a few with me as well. And this one here is uh, by Mark Gunger. It's called Laugh Your Way to a Better Marriage. A good book, some great concepts. Uh, another book that I really like a lot, use a lot, is by um, Pastor Timothy Keller, who is at uh, Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York. And this is great stuff in terms of biblical background of what marriage is and where it comes from and concepts about it, deeper thinking, great stuff on depth of what marriage is all about. I'm going to refer to a book today a couple of times. It's called Marital Intelligence by Gil Stiglitz, and uh, very good stuff. This is a book that gives um, lots of sort of uh, graphs, charts, little formulas that you can kind of work on together. It's a little bit of kind of a workbook kind of an idea with marriage, good stuff. And then uh, also here's, I don't know if I put all these down, but then here's a, a book called You and Me Forever by Francis and Lisa Chan, which is a, a really good book to use in terms of kind of a, a small group study uh, and things like that. Anyway, marriage is challenging stuff. Marriage is uh, very challenging stuff. And, and I like the way um, Mark Gunger even starts off that little kind of deal on the difference between men's and women's brains, because we know through research that's been done that as, as a child is being developed, even in utero, that their brain is being formed and that the female brain forms differently than the male brain. It's not exactly the same. It's not connected up the same way. And so I know those are generalizations in terms of how we live that out in our life, but there are some differences there, and we want to be able to understand a little bit about that as we go through. But marriage is a challenging thing. I was thinking about in my own marriage to Jean. It's always easier to talk about marriage when Jean isn't here. But, um, but in my own marriage to Jean, you know, we've, we're 39 years. So, like, we're moving through stuff, great stuff, ups and downs, all of that. But uh, I was thinking about her parents. Jean's parents, George and Dell, were married just short, just a few months short of uh, 70 years. My parents, same thing. My parents would have been married just short, just a few months short of 80 years. That's 150 years of marital bliss. No. <laughs> no, 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 no. That's 150 years of marriage, committed marriage, great marriages, good marriages, godly people. But in both of like our siblings, both sides of the family, there's divorce, separations, ups and downs, trauma, all kinds of stuff going on. We just happen to be fortunate enough to have parents that were committed to God and hung in there and stayed with it. That can happen. That can happen. There's so many good things about marriage when we live through God's design. And that's kind of what I want to talk about today. But marriage is a challenging thing. I heard of a man who came to his pastor and said he'd been a part of the church for over 25 years. He was a leader in the church. He came to the pastor. He said, Pastor, I've got to talk to you. This is on my heart. I've, just, I've got to tell somebody. I've never told this to anyone. But my wife and I, we argue. We fight every single day for the last 30 years. And the pastor was taken back by that. And he thought, every single day, every day? Did you argue and fight today on your way to church this morning? And the man said, well, yes, we did. We did. And he said, well, then how did it end up? And the man said, well, she came crawling to me on her hands and knees. And the pastor said, well, what did she say? She said, come out from under the bed, you coward. <laughs> I like that joke. Anyway. But marriage is challenging, challenging stuff. 
We read this from Ephesians chapter 5, which is probably one of the, the most uh, helpful to understand the relationship of men and women in marriage. But in Ephesians 5, the Apostle Paul writes this in verses 31 and 32. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. This is a profound mystery, says the Apostle Paul. Well, if you're following along on notes, I have kind of three areas that I want to hit on today. The first is the secret of marriage. Mega mysterium is what that is. Mega mysterium. This huge mystery. What is that huge mystery? How do we find the secret? What is the secret of marriage? Paul says immediately in this section, I'm talking about Christ and the church. I want you to understand that it is a relational peace. And I want you to get the foundation of what the relational peace of marriage is all about. The example and model of that is how Jesus is related to the church. If we miss that, we miss what God's design for the church is. Paul says, I'm talking about Christ and the church in verse 25, a little bit earlier in that passage. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. The secret is the message that what husbands should do for their wives is what Jesus did to bring us into union with God. The secret is what Jesus did to bring us into union with God, a place of cherished relationship and intimacy. That's how husbands should treat wives, a cherished intimacy with them. That's not only key to our understanding marriage, but it also is the way in which we live out how we understand what marriage is. In Philippians 2 is this incredible example of the humility and passion of Jesus to live out a sacrificial life for all of us, which is another model of how we as men and women in marriage should look at our spouse and our mate, incredibly sacrificial living on behalf of the other. Ephesians 5 shows that Paul, that Jesus did not use his power to oppress us but sacrificed everything to bring us into relationship with God. I love this quote from Tim Keller. If God had the gospel of Jesus' salvation in mind when he established marriage, then marriage only, quote, works to the degree that approximates the pattern of God's self-giving love in Christ. Did you catch that? Marriage is only, it only works to the degree that it approximates the pattern of God, God's pattern for life in Christ. This is the secret. Do for your spouse what God did for you in Jesus. I would say that's the golden rule of marriage. Do for your spouse what God did for you in Christ. Unpacking the mystery of marriage in a very practical way. As I said, marriage is challenging and difficult. I've heard many couples say things like this. Love shouldn't be this hard. It ought to come naturally. It ought to come naturally. And I say, well, why believe that? Why believe that? Wouldn't someone who wants to play pro baseball 
say something like, it shouldn't be that hard to hit a 100-mile-hour fastball. It shouldn't be that difficult, but it is. It is. Or someone else might say, I want to write a novel. It shouldn't be that hard to create the characters and a, a compelling narrative. But it is. It's difficult. It's challenging. It takes effort. It takes focus. It takes work. It takes energy. It takes all of that. Marriage is no different. Marriage takes focus and energy and effort, concern, compassion. It takes all of that. In Gil Stiglitz's book that I mentioned called Marital Intelligence, that gives some very practical insights into how we function in marriage. He says this. I was first uh, taken back by it, but I like this. He says that um, there are only five problems in marriage. And that's on, I've put those on your list. There are only five problems in marriage. Let me, let me just go through those with you. The first is ignoring needs. And that's about ignoring the needs of the wife and ignoring the needs of the husband. Ignoring needs. Here's the second one. The second one is immature behaviors. These are the various manipulative, immature, and defensive behaviors that people use. Hiding behaviors, immature behaviors. I don't care how old you are. You could be 102. You could still act in immature ways toward your spouse. Immature behaviors. Here's the third, clashing temperaments. This is often a lack of accepting the differences in our spouse's temperament from ours. We are different. Any two human beings are different. We are different. Do we have a clash in temperaments because of those differences? Here's the fourth, com uh, competing relationships. That's how we spend our time, what gets our attention, what we value. It's all of that. And then the fifth is this, past baggage. Past baggage has to do with our past hurts and wounds, negative family and cultural history, or our past actions. Five things. I mention these because I like the simplicity of identifying each of these areas and then helping us to choose possibly one or two of those areas to be realistic about. I've found that for most, most people, one of the things that is the stumbling block to actually successfully working through issues is their inability or undesirability to deal with things by communicating them clearly. In other words, a lot of people avoid discussions about areas of conflict or areas of need. They just avoid it. They don't talk about it. Or they get upset and they can't resolve anything. They're unwilling to really work through things in a compelling, helpful way. If that's you in your relationship, if you're married, or if you're engaged, or if you're thinking about marriage, think through what I'm saying. It is incredibly important for your marriage to move to the next level and deeper levels and stronger along the way for you to communicate clearly what's going on in your life because we're not necessarily mind readers. We have to talk and work through things. Here's the second one on your outline, the essence of marriage. What's at the heart of marriage, the essence of marriage? I remember when Jean and I were married for about a month. We'd only been married for about a month, and I was thinking, I am like doing great at this marriage thing. I'm like, I am so, 
I'm like so sacrificial. I am like, I'm bending over backwards. I'm the one that's picking up. I'm doing all this. I'm thinking, I'm, I'm really doing a great job. I mean, I'm like, you know, husband of the year after a month. I mean, I'm thinking I'm really good. And, and, I, and so humility kind of starts seeping out a little bit. And I thought, well, I better just remind Gene of how well I'm doing. And uh, so I told Gene kind of, you know, hey, you know, I've been really working at it, you know, that kind of stuff. Gene laughed. Jean laughed. She laughed. It was great. Jean said, you know what? This is so great because she said, I was thinking the exact same thing about me. It was great. After, a, after about a month of marriage, we're both thinking we're working so hard. We're bending over backwards. We're the one that's carrying the weight. The other person's thinking the exact same thing. What's at the heart of marriage? What is the essence of marriage? I think we have this, uh, we can put it up on screen, that Song of Solomon quote. I love this. I want you to read this with me. This is talking about what it's like to be in love with somebody. Why don't you read this out loud with me? Ready? Place me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm. For love is as strong as death, its jealousy as enduring as the grave. Love flashes like fire, the brightest kind of flame. Many waters cannot quench love, nor can rivers drown it. That is about people in love. Don't you love that line? I mean, that's incredible how strong it is to be bound to your life, over your heart, on your arm, stronger than death, enduring beyond the grave. Love flashes like fire. Wow, if most marriages had that at the heart of who they are and continue to seek after that, what is that? What if you knew what if you knew what might erode your marriage? What if you knew some things that might be detrimental to your marriage? Wouldn't you want to know what they are? Wouldn't you want to know that there are areas of married life that can destroy or erode your marriage? I got this list, and I can't even remember where I got it, but I really like this list. It's seven, seven ways to destroy your marriage, and then following on the positive side, seven ways to enhance it. So this isn't in your notes, but you might want to jot these down as I read through them or just listen to them as I walk through them. Seven ways to destroy or erode your marriage. The first, refuse to communicate. We already talked about that. Refuse to communicate. Don't talk about issues. It would be too awkward for you. Refuse to communicate. Here's the second one. Refuse to listen. Interrupting my spouse during conflict to immediately correct them and trying my best to make a stronger point always helps to tear down a relationship. Refuse to listen. Here's the third. Always assuming the absolute worst about your spouse. As soon as I hear about my spouse in a, in a negative way, uh, I, it's absolutely essential to carry that thought all the way to the fullest conclusion. That will destroy your marriage relationship. Here's the fourth. Make sure the goal, make sure the goal is to win the argument rather than actually settle the dispute. How many people are great at winning the argument? You know, I don't want to see hands, but I'm telling you, there's a lot of us that win arguments. We almost live for it. There's some people that love to win arguments. But in marriage, it's not about winning arguments. It's about settling. It's about coming to a conclusion together. It's not about winning an argument. 
Here's the fifth one. You must view your spouse as your enemy and not your friend. Number six, focus as much as possible on their inadequacies and shortcomings. You've got to talk about how much they're not meeting your needs, that kind of stuff. Number seven, do not have fun together. Well, that's the dark side. That's the negative side. But those things are cautions to us when we slip into those negative patterns. Here's the positive side. Let me give you seven ways to enhance your marriage and your relationship. Number one, stop fighting in it and start fighting for it. Stop fighting in it and start fighting for it. Number two, stop asking God to fix your spouse. Ask him to fix you. Ask him, how can I be my best in this relationship? God, how can I be the person you want me to be? Number three, ask for help. Almost every marriage, I don't know a one that doesn't need help, doesn't need mentoring, doesn't need guidance, doesn't need peer relationships, doesn't struggle at some points with finances or child rearing or whatever it is. We all need help. Don't be afraid to ask for help. Ask to get, how do I get some counseling help with deeper issues? How do I just get connected with somebody to help mentor me? Or how do I, but ask for help. Number four, ask the Lord to allow you to, to see your spouse through his eyes. This is huge. Ask God to allow you to see your spouse through God's eyes. It's so easy to see your spouse through human eyes, your eyes, with your perspective instead of God's. How does God see the unique person that he crafted and created to be your mate? How does he see them? What is his vision and goal for them? What does he take delight in them and their uniqueness and who they are? Number, number five, choose, uh, choose right now that you're always going to believe the best about your spouse. Love always assumes the best about the person. Love champions your spouse. You're their biggest cheerleader. And you tell them who they are. You remind them of how gifted they are. You take the time to sit and look them in the eye and tell them, you are incredibly made. I love this about you. You are so good at this. Do that with your spouse. Remind them of the person God has made them and is continuing to make them. Number six, stop seeing your spouse as your servant, but rather your opportunity to serve. Stop seeing them as your servant, but rather your opportunity to serve. And number seven, do whatever it takes to be your best for your spouse. Do whatever, do whatever it takes to be your best for your mate, your spouse. Well, there we go. We all have needs. We all have needs. That's, that's just part of life. It's who we are. And so I want you to do something with me. I want you to help me a little bit this morning. And uh, I want you to do a little bit of needs. Needs of wives. This is kind of for guys. So if you're women, let's, like, you just kind of listen in right here. But guys, what are things that wives need in a marriage? What are some things that they need? I'll just jot some down. What are they? 
Security, great, great. Okay, security, what else? Support. Okay, no women can be speaking at this time. And, 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 and no women can be like leaning into their husband saying, say this one. No, you can't do that. Okay, just guys. Okay, so I got security support. What else? I missed something? Comfort. Okay. What else? Affection. Fidelity. Okay, good. What else? Conversation or listening. Okay, I'll put conversation. I missed one. Somebody else? What's that? I was like, I was in my own box. I couldn't get out of the box. I was like, what was Okay, all right, okay. Um, yeah, that's good. That, there's, I'm trying to get something there, but okay, all right. <laughs> that's good. Okay, great list. Really good list. Anything else? Oh, forgiveness, okay. Okay, good. Guys, not bad, not bad. Uh, okay, so I'm going to just take this right here, and then let's be thinking, okay, women, uh, your deal is like, what are, the, what are the needs of husbands, okay? So what, what are husbands' needs? Wait a second here, okay. Okay, needs of husbands. All right, ladies, what do we got? Men got to be quiet here. Respect. All right. R-E-S-P-E-C-T. That ought to be a song. Okay, good. All right, what else? Affection. Okay, support. Good. Encouragement. Okay, good. No, that's good. Okay, good. Sp I'm going to put space. Okay, good, good. What? Sex. Okay, good. I was like, okay, good. I was hoping. Okay, good. Great. Okay, good. <laughs> All right, good. Okay. All right. Uh, that pretty much sums it up right there. Okay, good. <laughs> good. There we go. Okay, quality. Quality time. Affirmation. Affirmation. No, I, that was a male one. I can't put that up there. I'm like, okay, okay, good, good. Any others? That's good. That's a good list. Good list. Excellent. All right. Good. Good work. Okay. So the needs of uh, wives, the needs of husbands. I'll stick it over here. It's kind of the way we got it. All right. So the needs of wives and the needs of husbands. In, uh, in the book, Marital Intelligence, uh, Stiglitz says this. He has kind of a list that he has, and I like it. And uh, let me just read these to you. And this is what he, that he has kind of come up with in terms of the needs of wives and the needs of husbands. So here's the needs of wives. Honor. Women need to be honored by their husbands. Understanding. Women need understanding. Guys, you ought to be writing these down. Security. To be secure. 
Building unity. Building unity. Be about the business of building you together. Women need that. Wives need that. Agreement. Coming to agreement. See why we get into trouble so easily. Nurture and development. Nurture. And then finally, defender. Defender. All of those have biblical uh, underpinnings as well. Here it is, needs for husbands. So women, be writing these down. Respect. We got that one. Respect. Adaptation. Men, husbands need their wife to adapt to them, to come into their sphere. They need to adapt. They need adaptability on the part of their wife. Domestic leadership. I wasn't sure exactly what he meant there, but then I sort of got it. I remember like when we had a kid and Gene was like, okay, our kid's getting older, they got to go to soccer practice, and then, but the other one's got to go to, I said, what, what, the other one, wait a minute, we're just, I mean, there's like too many of them now. It's like, well, I can only focus on, you know, a few things. Domestic leadership is about how women can do multiple things at one time, where a lot of times, men we struggle a little bit more with that, but domestic leadership. Um, the home, they're a part of the home and the structure of a home. Um, Intimacy, which is more than just sex, it's about relational intimacy, caring, comfort, the design for becoming close with that person as a human being. Companionship, to be a companion. And then he has one called the attractive soul, a person who I connect with, who a man connects with at the deeper level of a soul, of a a soul person. My soul, their soul, we connect together. And then the last one is listening, someone who will listen and listen well. I like those as well. I heard this, if a woman gets, is upset, hold her and then tell her how beautiful she is. If she starts to growl, retreat to a safe distance and throw chocolate. <laughs> Marriage is a challenging thing. It is a challenging thing. I love what James says, but the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. That's for all of us, male or female alike. Here's the last one on your outline, the mission of marriage, very short, very quick. I love that Joshua in the Old Testament had, he had a mission statement for his family. It reads like this. It comes from Joshua 24, 15. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are now living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Joshua had a family mission statement. You can have a marriage mission statement together. Listen to these words from Ephesians 5. I love this. This is from the message. Just listen to this, kind of drink it in as I read it. Out of respect for Christ, be courteously reverent to one another. Wives, understand and support your husbands in ways that show your support for Christ. 
The husband provides leadership to his wife the way Christ does to his church, not by domineering, but by cherishing. So just as the church submits to Christ as he exercises such leaderships, wives should likewise submit to their husbands. Husbands, go all out in your love for your wives, exactly as Christ did for the church, a love marked by giving, not getting. Christ's love makes the church whole. His words evoke her beauty. Everything he does and says is designed to bring the best out of her, dressing her in dazzling white silk, radiant with holiness. And that is how husbands ought to love their wives. They're really doing themselves a favor since they're they're already one in marriage. No one abuses his own body, does he? No, he feeds and pampers it. That's how Christ treats us, the church, since we are a part of his body. And this is why a man leaves his father and mother and cherishes his wife. No longer two, they become one flesh. This is a huge mystery. And I don't pretend to understand at all. What is clearest to me is the way Christ treats the church. And this provides a good picture of how each husband is to treat his wife, loving himself and loving her, and how each wife is to honor her husband. That's a good word. Listen to this quote from Tim Keller, pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian Church. Within the Christian vision of marriage, here's what it means to fall in love. It is to look at another person and get a glimpse of the person God is creating and to say, I see who God is making you and it excites me. I want to be part of that. I want to partner with you and God in the journey you are taking to his throne. And when we get there, I will look at your magnificence and say, I always knew you could be like this. I got glimpses of it on earth, but now look at you. Wow, to be able to stand before God with your spouse and to say, God, look at the beautiful person that you created. And I got to champion them. And I got to invest. I got to be a part of them. And they got to be a part of me. What an incredible, incredible word. I read this prayer this week. It comes from Francis Chan and Lisa Chan's book called You and Me Forever. It's a prayer that they wrap up the book with, and I want to close with it as a prayer for us. So as I pray this prayer, would you hear it and allow God to speak to you through it? God, help us to love you deeply and fear you greatly. Teach us how to love each other for your sake. May the humility of Christ be seen in the way we treat each other. Show us how to enjoy each other without neglecting your mission. Remind us of the beauty of life, of the brevity of life, so we share your good news urgently. Remind us of heaven, so we will, when we face rejection and trials, we will face them joyfully. When we settle down for too long, prod us to run. When we are prone to fight, teach us to fight together and to fight for you. When we are tempted to run away, bring repentance and renewal. 
May we spend our married days reminding each other of your glory, your gospel, your love, your power, your mission, and your promise of what is to come. We pray that, Jesus, in our marriages, in our lives. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.